Welcome to Revolutions Weekly, where we dive into the details of our many periodic revolutions, elections. I'm your host, Alvin, and this week we're finally turning a new leaf and moving over a few continents over. So, after five grueling weeks, five amazing weeks, five interesting weeks of being able to cover the five Indian regional elections, we're going to move over now to Europe, where we're going to be covering even more regional elections. But in this case, you know, I feel like it's really significant because we're, you know, we're covering British elections, but it's not, you know, the general's not happening, but it is significant because, you know, because it involves two major regions in the UK, namely Scotland and next week, Wales. So, you know, if you know what's been going on with Scotland in, you know, recent times with, you know, like their independence referendum and all these kinds of things, you would know, of course, that things have been, you know, pretty shaky, to say the least, in the union. So, you know, of course, you know, with the independence vote and then, you know, with Brexit, just, you know, mucking everything up, you know, it's kind of like really like an uncertain future as to what's going to happen there in the UK. So I feel like, you know, like elections kind of like paint like this really nice picture and it kind of gives you like a glimpse into like the actual political circumstances because I think it's like, it's like one of the few things that, you know, you could really, that that's really designed, you know, like accidentally to actually reflect the will of the people but anyways so as, as i said earlier so this week we'll be covering the scottish parliamentary elections and next week like i said we'll be covering the welsh parliamentary elections now both of these elections actually happened just last week so may 6th now if you notice this episode's slightly later and you know it's definitely not because i'm just being a bit lazy no 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 I, there, there, there's a good reason because I think like the results only came out at on the eighth. So thing is like then actually you know, to actually make this episode properly, you know, you would have to have the results. So that's what I was waiting for. But anyways, now that we do have the results, let's get started. So you know, so like first of all, you might, might be thinking, you know, like what are like the Scottish parliaments? So you know, if you if you talk about like you know other states, other regions, you know, like a lot of them have like parliaments and things like that. But I think in the UK, it's a bit different because you know the UK you know, being a much smaller country and, like, you know, being a united kingdom since, like, 1707, you know, has ever really ever only had one parliament, and that's the national one in Westminster. So what this Scottish parliament basically is, it's basically an attempt at devolution. So basically, you know, like, the Scots, you know, like, they want to see more autonomy, they want to see, you know, like, more, they want to see themselves having more control over, you know, like, local matters, you know, like domestic affairs, education, agricultural policy, tourism, you know, these these kinds of things, you know, minor things like that, but also, you know, major things like, you know, like like economic policies, like taxes and things like that. So that's why, that's where that came from. So basically they had a referendum in 1987 and, you know, people said, yes, you know, like we want a parliament of our own. And that's why it was established in 1989 with these, you know, like sort of like overreaching powers over Scottish domestic policy. Now, of course, you know, like, they are still subservient to the parliament in Westminster, and, like, some, and, like, a lot of times they would have to, like, send over what they passed over to Westminster to be passed, to be stamped, essentially, by the national government. But, you know, like, as it is right now, you know, like, the parliament does have a lot of power, and we'll get to what some of these powers are in a bit, you know, especially the really important ones. So, you know, like I said, you know, like, they have powers over domestic policies, but, you know, of course, like a lot of things like foreign policy, like national defense is, of course, you know, still set by London. So don't don't get it twisted. So it's like imagine like this is this is like a state parliament, but 
the reason it's unprecedented, the reason it's important is because there was not like this there was not a quote unquote state parliament before this existence of the Scottish Parliament. So anyway, so what does this body look like? So it's a one hundred and twenty nine seat body and it's unicognital, meaning that there is only the one parliament, no upper house. And you know, because of it's one twenty nine, they need sixty five to form a majority. And you know, the way it is, you know, like it's a British Westminster system. So, you know, so you know the whole thing with first past the post. But what's interesting here is, you know, while there are first past the post constituencies, there are it's actually more of like a hybrid system. So, you know, like half of it is like the Westminster system, you know, the one, the one you see in Britain, the one that you see in India, you know, where it's like where it's like, you know, the parliament is essentially king. So that that's that's where the cabinet comes from, that's where the prime minister comes from, things like that. So you have you know, like, and the way it's voted in, of course, you know, is through constituency, meaning that, you know, whoever passes the post first, first past the post, gets the seat. But so there's that system as well. But then there's also this other part of the system, which is a more of a proportional representation system. So more or less the breakdown is about 73 MSPs, so member of the Scottish Parliament, are elected with the first past the post, and 56 of the remaining are elected by proportional representation, from eight electoral regions. So basically, in case you don't you know, understand, so proportional representation basically is, you know, when you like tally up the, all the votes of a particular, you know, like region, this big region, not like a, like a district or like a constituency, but like a, a big region and just kind of like divide up the seats allocated to each region just based on that. So in Scotland, there's about eight of those. So essentially what they do is that they kind of add these two numbers together and that's how you get 129. And, you know, strategically, this is actually really interesting because, like, it kind of, like, opens up a lot of nice implications. So, anyways, now that we got the technical stuff out of the way, now let's kind of, let's talk about what the government actually looked like before this particular election. So, if you kind of, like, follow closely British politics or, you know, or if you don't really know it yet, don't worry, I'll, I'll be here for you. But, yeah, so what's going on in Scotland is basically, so we have this party called the SNP, in case you don't know. So it's the Scottish National Party. Now, you know, I think that just based on the name itself, you know, you kind of like know, of course, like one, it'll probably, most of it, its constituents, or not actually all of its constituents, probably be in Scotland. And like, you know, secondly, you know, like this idea of like a national party, meaning, you know, it's like they're probably going to be the ones pushing for independence. And in fact, that is the case. So... You know, the SNP has, has been in power, you know, like, pretty much, you know, for almost, like, a decade, more than a decade, basically, so, and basically definitely a dominant player in Scottish politics. Not so much, of course, you know, in national politics, you know, nor would they be, because why would a party advocating for Scottish independence be, like, a prominent player nationally? But anyways, so they're basically prominent in Scotland itself, and they've basically been kind of, like, the biggest, like, you know, factor, the biggest, you know, advocate for an independent Scotland. That's why they're really significant in Scottish politics, but also in British politics largely because, you know, they're a pro-independence party. But, you know, like, you might think they might, you know, like, be like a minority of, as, you know, most so-called independence party are. But, you know, no, but in the case of SNP, you know, you actually see a majority, basically, so, like, they, so they actually, like, you know, run the government and things like that. But, you know, like, while they did have a majority for, like, most of their time and tenure in power... The election before this one, the 2016 election, actually, you know, saw them losing some seats. So basically, they have 61 seats. And if you remember what I said back there, you need 65 to be in a majority. So essentially, what's been happening these last few years is that, you know, like the SNP has been running essentially a minority government. Sometimes they rely on the Scottish Greens, 
the Scottish Green Party, which, you know, the Green Party nationally, you know, like, of course, it's, you know, like, pro-British and things like that, but the Greens in Scotland, for some reason, are also pro-independence. So, you know, because everyone else isn't pro-independence, you know, their only ally really is the Greens, and the Greens themselves have five seats. So I guess that's basically how they've just been getting through things through Parliament. And, you know, the other parties, you know, you have, like, the big names, you know, like, and if you do follow British politics, you will definitely know these names, like, like Conservatives, you know, like the Tories, who are, who are currently in power in London, you know, they have 30 seats, Labour with 23, and, you know, and the Lib Dems with 5. So, you know, that's kind of, like, more or less what it is, you know, like, besides, you know, like, Conservative and, like, you know, upper edge over Labour, you know, like, which is the trend in most places in the UK, you know, you see the SNP just absolutely dominating Scottish politics, and it's for good reason, because, yeah, we, because the people of Scotland, a good amount of them want independence, but then also, you know, like, they are a party explicitly advocating for, you know, Scottish rights and, like, just, like, Scottish issues, so, which makes sense, I suppose. So, anyways, so, you know, coming into this election, you know, like, what are the issues... You know, like, what, what what are, like, the big, like, events which kind of, like, shape these so-called issues and, like, when, what's going to be happening and what are the implications for this election? So, you know, of course, like, if I like the way I alluded to earlier, so, you know, like, I said something about, like, you know, like, the 2014 Scottish independence referendum. Now, of course, that failed. I think it's, like, 45% of people want independence and 55 didn't. So, you know, things like, it was a high, it was a relatively slim margin. But, you know, still, you know, like, I think, like, at the end, ultimately, you know, like, they didn't get independence. And this referendum was actually pushed by the SNP. Now, the reason why this is more significant than just plain advocacy is actually because one of the most significant powers of the Scottish Parliament is actually to vote for, to ask for an independence referendum. So, basically, what it was is that, basically, they would be allowed to vote on whether or not they would want a referendum. And so, in this case, the parliament did vote yes in a majority because the SNP had the majority and they basically sent this request over to Westminster and Westminster can either say yes, you can have a referendum, or no, you can't. So, in 2014, they greenlit the referendum. So, you know, they actually had a referendum, I think it was like 20, 30 years before this, and, you know, that one failed as well. But it's always been, you know, the SNP behind, you know, like the push for referendum. And they've always been relentless about it, you know, like to the ire of Westminster. Now, you know, so that failed, that came and went, you know, but the SNP is still in power. And I think that's probably, probably why, like, they lost seats ultimately because, because you know, because, like, the referendum ended in, like, a whimper, like, the, like, the hype kind of died down as well. But, you know, then, you know, we have the 2016 Scottish elections. And, like, that's when I told you, like, they lost a couple of seats. Not, not a lot, but, like, you know, enough to, like, make them have to run a minority government. But then, a few months after that election, things kind of got awkward because then, you know, you had the 2016 Brexit referendum. Now, of course, if you, if you remember this referendum, well, yeah, of course, you know, like the Brexit side won. And this is, this, is, this is an even slimmer margin. It was like 49 to 51, I think. It was something crazy like that. But, you know, this literally happened a few months right after. And, you know, and if, I think initially, you know, like, when they actually did this referendum, they didn't think it would actually, you know, like, go through. But, you know, and, you know, the Tories, the Conservatives, were basically just trying to, like, score political points. Well, you know, like, I guess they, like, they talked about all of that. So, basically, you know, like, in 2014, they kind of let the referendum happen because they wanted political points. And to put to rest the issue of Scottish independence once and for all, in 2016, they also wanted political points. While also putting the Brexit issue to rest once and for all, 
and to also silence the Brexit camp within the Conservative Party itself. But this one went through, so now, you know, they're put in this, like, awkward position. So, and if, you know, you look at the map, and this is kind of, like, always been, like, a recurring issue these last few years, is that essentially, you know, while most of England's and most of Wales voted for Brexit, almost all of Scotland didn't. So, almost all of Scotland actually wanted to remain in the EU. Now, of course, you know, if you know population density, England has way more people than Scotland, which is why the vote ultimately went through, even though it was a pretty slim margin to begin with. But anyways, so basically most of Scot like almost all of Scotland wanted to be a part of the EU because of you know because of like the trade relations that they could have. And just like I think in general, you know, I think it's like the 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 Euroskeptic crowd are mostly English. And that's probably like derived from like their like national identity of like, you know, being an island nation away from so called continental Europe. You know, they've kind of, like, developed this kind of, like, ire, this kind of, like, hate. Not, like, a really, like, passionate hate, but, like, a hate for, you know, the rest of, like, Europe. And just, like, kind of seeing themselves as completely different. You know, that's where, like, the English hating the French and things like that came from. But anyways, so that's because, like, you know, like, so it was mostly, like, the English and Welsh votes which ultimately, you know, caused Brexit. Which is why Scotland, I guess, in that sense, kind of felt left out. And, you know... They were because they were part of the UK. They were to have to. They had to be kicked out of the union too. And so you know, some Scots didn't want that. So that's why this issue of independence was again reinvigorated. Was again you know given some light because yeah, because if Scotland wanted to be part of the EU, well then they would technically have to leave the UK. So now the pro-independence camp has a more compelling argument for Scottish independence. And so that's basically what's been brewing these last few years. And then, of course, you know, other than all of this thing going on in the background, there's, of course, you know, just the, like, the everyday issue of, you know, COVID and just how that's been handled. So I think it's like pretty much, you know, for the most part in England, I think it's like they've kind of handled COVID well, relatively well. I mean, also Europe, they've kind of handled it relatively well. I think it's like in Scotland and I guess like in Wales as well, you know, like they've kind of like, you know, like like their own local governments have kind of like gotten praises for, you know, being able to handle it properly. But so that's not really much of an issue per se on its own. But, you know, COVID is still a big issue. So it's not like you can't just ignore it. So basically what we kind of have here ultimately is like a clash between, you know, the issue of Brexit and Scottish independence and the issue of COVID. And, and then which one should take precedent. So that's, I think, ultimately the tone that I got from like the debates, the tone that I got from like the rhetoric is basically that, you know, they're like, which one should we prioritize even more? So, of course, you know, like, the, like I said, the SNP and the Greens are, of course, pro-independence. But, you know, like, they kind of did the smart thing of, like, saying, well, we are pro-independence and we do want a referendum eventually. What's kind of important right now is how we deal with COVID, how we handle it, how we manage it. So, of course, you know, they did, they walked that fine line of, like, you know, yeah, well, we want independence, but not now. Now, the Conservative and the Lib Dems basically kind of, like, or, you know, of course, like, pro-union, pro-UK parties. And, of course, they kind of, like, they kind of did this, like, thing where it's, like, they kind of painted the SNP and the Greens as being, you know, people who don't prioritize COVID and instead are, like, relentlessly pushing this, like, vote for independence. We, you know, and they're, like, they keep saying, oh, you know, it's not the time. And it's, like, you know, what are you doing? Things like that. So, I think the conservatives are, like, the most aggressive in this messaging about, you know, and, of course, you know, conservatives and the SNP don't exactly have you know, don't exactly see eye to eye. So you could see why that's the case. But basically what it is, is that like, you know, like they, 
they kind of paint this picture of like, yeah, like I said, you know, like like the current government's not really focusing on COVID. They're focusing too much on independence, yada, yada, yada. So basically that's why, you know, like we have the bad quote-unquote situation that we have now. Anyways, now labor, you know, in line with how they've been doing since the general election like two years ago. So basically how they've been doing is like they've just kind of like had this issue with messaging in general. So for example, in 2019... They've had to basically appease both the pro and anti-Brexit crowd by saying, oh, let's have a second referendum. But then, of course, you know, like, people saw that, you know, as them kind of negate the issue. And so that's why, ultimately, they, they didn't get the votes that they needed because people really didn't, like, see in them a plan, you know, a path of Brexit. And whereas people wanted Brexit, they kind of shown that they did. So in Scotland, Labour did a similar thing where they wanted to do a third option, quote-unquote, third option. What that is, is honestly really vague. So basically they say, oh, you know, we don't want to talk about Brexit and Scottish independence or COVID. We want to talk about, we want to go on a different path. But what this different path is, is so vague. So basically, so so that people didn't really know what they were voting for if they voted Labour. And so that's why Labour ultimately didn't get a lot of traction in this election. And just in general, I think it's like Labour nationally has just been really shaky so that's like probably why in scotland they didn't really fare all that well either so anyways now we got the polls now of course the results are out already but you know like what were the polls saying before the results came out so what the results show is basically you know snp being the dominant player in scottish politics that it is was slated to take power again but you know but their chances of, of, of a majority is still up in the air in that you know like they will get the most seats. That there's no doubt about that. But whether or not they will get a majority is still up in the air. It's like still because it really depends on like it really ended up depending on like three or four seats basically. And you know, but of course, you know, like Nicola Sturgeon, who's the leader of the, the SNP, is likely to win first minister. Now, first minister is basically the quote unquote prime minister of like the region. And whereas you know, like other parties, the Conservatives are slated to get twenty seven, Labour nineteen. The Greens 11, which is like a really big growth from their 5, and the Lib Dems 4. So, and then like there's this other party called ALBA, started by former First Minister Alex Salmon. Now, Alex Salmon was actually the leader of the SNP, and he was First Minister before the SNP. But, you know, after some scandal, he got kicked out, and now he has his own party called ALBA. So that's, so he's playing against zero seats though. But like, based on these results, how far are we from, you know, the actual results? You know, like, because there was, the, the polls kind of show, you know, that, you know, like the other parties besides the SNP are kind of slated to like lose some seats. And like conservatives losing like four or five, Labour losing like four, Greens gaining. But, you know, the Lib Dems going to lose again with about one seat. So what do the results actually say though? So the results are kind of close, but not really. I'll, I'll get to why. So the SNP got 64 seats ultimately. So you remember like, so they actually technically gained three seats, but 64 seats ain't going to cut it because you need 65 to be a majority. So they came close. They, they really did because they did win a couple of crucial seats. So then like they were able to do that. And, but then, you know, so ultimately I think it might likely still be a minority government, but it's a minority government, I suppose, that has to rely less on other on the graces of other parties because they really only need one vote to pass most things. 
and the Conservatives didn't end up losing seats. They remained perfectly at 31. Labour down to 22, so they lost two seats from their 24. Greens went up to 8, so they went from like 5, so they went to like from like 5 to like 8, so it's like that's like an extra 3 seats that they gained. So, you know, so, so they didn't end up getting seats. They're actually the only party, you know, like out of like the, the national party, so-called national parties, that they actually gain seats. So that's great on them, you know, they gained, you know, 3 seats basically, and Lib Dems went down by 1, so now they're at 4. And of course, you know, as the polls predicted, Alba, no seats. So basically what's interesting here, you know, like you, you might see it and you're like, oh, okay, you know, like, well, case closed, you know, like SFP gets majority, kind of a majority, and, you know, and everyone else just kind of like stays just like there, you know, like mix up the other half of the parliament. But what's interesting is that, you know, because of like, remember the mixed system that I mentioned earlier, it kind of ended up playing a pretty interesting factor into like how the votes are ultimately tabulated. So in a constituency vote, when, when you're talking about like, you know, like votes per, per, per constituency, the SNP dominated that particular segment of the voting. So, you know, so how voting in Scotland works is that you get two ballots, basically, one for your constituent and one for your region. So for the constituent ballot, SNP dominates that. And that's basically how they got most of their seats. It's by winning each and every one constituency. Whereas the other parties, particularly you know, the Conservatives and Labour, they the way they did it is actually by focusing instead on the regional list. So you see like how, you know, like the national parties who, you know, who technically don't support, at least not openly support, you know, like a proportional representation system for the for, for the UK nationally, they actually ended up benefiting from proportional representation in Scotland. And, you know, but it's also like a strategic thing on their part because they know they can't win by an outright majority in particular constituencies. So what they do is, you know, they make sure to get second or third place in the regional polls so that they could get some seats that way. So that's how Conservative and Labour have been gotten, getting most of their seats. So it's a, it's a different strategy essentially for like both of them. And to show you how stark it is, so the Conservatives got 31 seats. But they only won five constituencies. And Labour only got two from constituents, but they won 22 seats. So you see, like, how, like, a lot of, like, their votes actually ended up being from the regional list instead of constituents. And, you know, like, what else this election shows, I think, ultimately is also, like, a widespread approval of the SNP agenda itself. You know, so how they've been handling COVID. And also, you know, I guess, like, their push for independence. Now, I think it's, like, if I reference the polls correctly, there's actually a resurgence of, you know, like, a majority of people wanting Scottish independence. So I think it's, like, it's the first time in a while that Scottish independence actually went up against people who didn't want independence by, like, a couple of percentage points. And I think the SNP is probably going to take that as a hint that they could push for another referendum and possibly win. That'll be interesting to cover, certainly, but we'll just have to see if that actually happens. But like I said, you know, with COVID... It's not likely to happen soon because they did promise the people we're not gonna do it now. But it will probably it will definitely happen. Like within the next ten years, with just how polarizing a lot of like Western politics is right now, maybe in like ten years, but we'll just have to see. But you know if that happens, we'll be covering it. So anyways, like next week, like I said, we'll be covering the Welsh elections, which happened on this exact same day. 
and like the interesting dynamics there so you wouldn't want, want, want to miss that as well if you're on spotify please you know follow the podcast and if you're on youtube the usual comment like subscribe but anyways i'll see you next week for that then